0: Hey, uh, welcome to Parkview, Siberia campus. We're really, really glad to have you here. A um, bunch of people couldn't dig out at 9 o'clock, so they're here at 11. So if you get a chance to scoot in and fill in those seats, we still got people coming in. And Welcome. We are really, really glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here today because we're talking about laziness and sloth. And, you, you know, at least you showed up, okay? I mean, let's, let's just call it that. Right off the bat. And, and i got to tell you, I did come up with the seven deadly sins. But I think by the time we get done talking about this today, you're going to understand some things of how this could be deadly for us. One of the ways this really plays itself out is at work, obviously. I mean, that's kind of what we did with the, with the opening thing. Being lazy, being slothful has to do with work. Uh, here are some great lines from uh, some job evaluations from some bosses. Uh, number one, I would not allow this employee to breed. Uh, that, that, that's, that's good, right? How about works well when under constant supervision and cornered like a rat in a trap. <laughs> I can get him to work. This employee is depriving a village somewhere of an idiot. This employee should go far, and the sooner he gets started, the better. This employee got into the gene pool when the lifeguard wasn't watching, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I like this. His men would follow him anywhere, but only out of morbid curiosity. (laughs) What a great leader. He's as bright as Alaska in December. You got to think about that for a little bit. It's not very bright, right? Uh, My favorite, got a full six-pack, but he lacks the plastic thingy to hold it all together. A lot of these evaluations, I think, would have to do with the fact that that we've got a problem in our world with people that don't want to work hard enough. And the problem is that we used to be able to tell when somebody wasn't working because they'd just be sitting there, right? But now, because of Al Gore and this stupid internet thing he made up, you know, we 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 can look like we're busy all the time and we can even tell ourselves we're busy. Oh, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I've got all these different distractions, and all of a sudden we end up wasting a whole lot of time and we don't even realize it. This is why, again, I believe they put sloth in as a seven deadly sin. Now, just so you know, um, you know, I didn't make this list up. This list is not I- I- exactly in the Bible like seven deadly sins. It's not in the Bible. You're not going to look it up and find it that way. It was a group of theologians in the in the Middle Ages that put this thing together. Um, but but I think they did this so that they could, what they did is they studied the, the whole Bible to find out the they wanted to have seven because it was a you know, biblical number. The seven worst attitudes that get in the way of our relationship with God. The seven things that get in the way of God's blessing coming to us and the things that get in our way of getting to God. All right, Please, again, don't, don't think about this. I know a lot of you grew up you know, with the whole mortal sin and venial sin and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's not what this is about. This is not like these are the, are the sins that are going to keep you out of heaven. Jesus died for all of our sins. And there are murderers in heaven, we know this, okay? And there are adulterers in heaven. They wrote the Bible for crying out loud. We know this. These are the most common things that are, that are the most common death-causing attitudes in our life now. The Apostle Paul said, the wages of sin is death, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is a very, very great verse, and we quote this verse a lot, because there is eternal death, and there is eternal life. We know this, Right? But the problem is we talk about it in the terms of forever and what's happening after we die, and we don't think about what's going on right now. I believe in eternal death. I believe in eternal life, absolutely. But I believe that eternity includes today. So that's why when Jesus said, I have come to bring life and bring it to the full, he was not saying, after you die from this earth, you will get life. If If that's the only hope we have, it's still good hope of the resurrection, but what about the fact that we could actually live in heaven now? What about the fact that we could actually live in hell now? I've uh, I've been traveling a lot. I'm doing this convention and, and doing a lot of speaking and doing some things around the country. So uh, if you were here last weekend, you, you heard me say that I was in Ventura, California because I'm no idiot. You know, if they need me, I'm in February. I'm going to Ventura, right? But that's a church that we started out there uh, and my son-in-law and daughter are actually on the staff of that church and so it was fun for me to get a chance. This church is running 600 people in two years in Ventura, California, which doesn't have a whole lot of churches. So it was really cool to be able to be there. This is just a long way to explain why I have this weird brain today. Okay. Then I left from there and I went to Joplin, Missouri, and I spoke to a preaching convention in Joplin, Missouri. So whenever I, whenever I'm gone, you know, my, my frame of reference just kind of changes a little bit. Okay. If I, so, so I have some country, I'm just telling you, I have some country music references today. Okay, because I've been in Missouri. That's the way it works. If I ever travel to Eastern Europe, I'll bring you polka song references or whatever. But but I got country. Okay, that's all I got today. I got country. Brad Paisley. Any Brad Paisley fans in here? Okay, some of you country Christians. Okay, okay. Look, he's got a he's got a song I was listening to this week, and it's, it, the song is called "A Man Don't Have to Die to Go to Hell." And he talks about this guy who, you know, they got this new preacher and he's up preaching hell fire and brimstone. And I love it. I, I, I wish this would actually happen. Some guy in the back of the church stands up and he goes, hey, preacher, you, you don't have to yell at us about hell. We know that hell exists right now. And he goes into a couple, I may play it for you one of these weeks. He goes into this scenario where you just just understand that we can live in hell on this this earth right now. And and, and the title of the song is A Man Don't Have to Die to Go to Hell. What what we're doing for these seven weeks in here is trying to help you to understand that, that, yeah, hell and heaven later on, yeah, that's important. Get that worked out. We want to help you with that. But how about hell and heaven right now? How about the fact that you have power over sin Now, you know, I'm like, I can't wait, I can't wait to not sin anymore when I'm in heaven someday and there is no sin there, but I could actually have that power right now. Paul said, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we would no longer be slaves to sin. When is that going to happen? After we die? No, he says right now, he says, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. For sin will no longer be your master because you are not under the law, you're under grace. We sing amazing grace. We talk about amazing grace, how awesome it is that we're saved from our sins because of Jesus and what he did. And please don't misunderstand any of this being slothful or being angry or next week is lustful whatever it is is not going to keep you out of heaven and not being those things doesn't get you into heaven Jesus and his death is what the grace is but there's a grace power that lives inside of us as well that's available for us that gives us the power to to not live in hell right now so we're talking about sloth I know it's weird right What is slothfulness exactly? Well, easiest way for me to explain it to you would be to just let you listen to one of my favorite comedians, Jim
1: Gaffigan. I struggle with my laziness. I'm like, should I sit down and do nothing or should I lie down and do nothing? (laughs) You'd think lazy people like me would have been weeded out by natural selection. I can't imagine someone like me in pioneer times. I really got to harvest those crops or my eight kids aren't going to make it through winter. I'll have other kids. (laughs) I got to get back to staring at the barn. It's fun doing nothing. But if you do nothing for too long, the most menial task is exhausting. You're like, I actually have to point the remote control? What is this, the 50s? Can't I just look at the TV and it'll know what I want to watch? You have been watching TV for a couple hours and you suddenly lose the remote? I haven't even gotten up. I don't remember throwing it. Well, looks like I'm watching this infomercial. I watch too much. I don't understand the people who don't like TV. I just prefer reading. Have you watched television? It's way better. There's pictures, there's sound, and most importantly, no reading. I don't even know what people did before television. That must have been horrible. Even in those old-time photos of people gathered around the radio, they're always looking at the radio like, I can't wait till they invent the TV. There you go. There's
0: a lot of, there's a lot of distractions for us now. Sloth. Sloth. Uh, It's fascinating to me that this is the one seven deadly sins that has an animal. Do you ever think about that? You know what a sloth is? This is a picture of my friend the sloth. Um, The sloth is the epitome of laziness. It it, it is laziness. It's a toothless tree-dwelling creature who hangs. He has these claws that are so so sharp that he can sleep while he's hanging from the tree. And and they they, they tell me that a, a sloth only comes down from the tree once a week to go to the bathroom. I don't, I don't know why they have to come down to go to the bathroom because they're up there already, but that's, they come down once a week to go to the bathroom and they forage through the trees and they eat stuff out of the trees and they just don't move. They sleep all day and they don't move. It's the epitome of laziness in our culture. It's funny to me that no other of the, la- of the sins gets an animal. It's also funny to me that as soon as I put that picture up, some of you are like, oh yeah, I know that guy, <clears throat> right? You're like, that's my cousin Eddie. Yeah, uh, that's him. I got his picture right there on the sloth. He's just lazy. He doesn't do anything. And, and probably along with that, you thought, well, I'm glad I came today because I got this one. I checked this off my list, man. You know, I mean, pride and envy and anger. Yeah, I got those issues. But I am not lazy. I could relate to the margin sermon, Tim. I mean, I get that. Uh, you know, but this sermon is pointless. I'm going to go back to playing Candy Crush on my iPhone. Right? I get it. Okay. <clears throat> that's how I felt, too but I want to think about it in a little different way today because I think that sloth is selective. And I think if we look more carefully at our own lives, we will see that toothless, tree-dwelling you know, mentality hanging from some areas of our life that might be surprising to us. Okay, I want to talk to you about sloth from the priority of our time, not just, uh, the, not just the wasting of time, the priority of our time. So I'm going to take you through some different kinds of sloth, and I decided to use a passage of Scripture where Jesus' disciples are slothful. I'm in Mark 14. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn over there. If you're, you know, lazy like me and you just look up at the screen, just try to hold your head up, okay? That's good. Here we go. Mark 14. We're, we're going to talk this through, okay? And, and what, what it is is this is the final hours. <clears throat> this is Jesus' final hours before he is crucified, so they go off to the, to, the, to the Garden of Gethsemane. They've had dinner. They've had their you know, communion. They've had bread and wine. So that makes you tired already, right? They've had their communion and they're tired and they go to this garden area. And by the way, I haven't got to see it yet, but I'm hearing great things about the Son of God movie. If you get a chance, I really recommend you go see it because they, they say it's a really great depiction of the life of Christ. But, but, but if you see the scene in this movie, they're gonna go to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're gonna hang out there and Jesus knows what's going to happen the next day but the disciples don't know what's going to happen the next day. And Jesus says, come on, let's go. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said this to his disciples, Peter, James, and John. Stay here and keep watch. Again, if you get a chance to go to the Holy Land and see the Garden of Gethsemane, you can actually see, I mean, the garden is still there. We don't know exactly where they were doing this, but it's really cool to think about the fact that, that, that this was the place where Jesus was praying for God to take the cross away before he ever went there because he didn't want to go there, where, where Jesus and his disciples were all hanging out. Who's he hanging out with? Again, Peter, nicknamed the Rock, right? James and John, nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, right? So you would think... That of all the people, these are Jesus' best friends, you would think that of all the people that Jesus could have taken into this little moment of prayer, this little moment of consecration before he goes to the cross, that the logical candidates would be Peter the Rock and James and John the Sons of Thunder. They should be the right guys, right? But, But what happens in this scene? If you know what's going on, you know that Jesus goes off to pray, and the disciples hang their claws around a branch... And fall asleep. Several areas of sloth I see from this passage of scripture. The first one is about relationships. He comes back, he's been gone an hour, they've fallen asleep. He said, Could you not keep watch for one hour? Can you hear the, the hurt in Jesus' voice? Can, can you hear it right there? Could you not stay with me for one hour? Could I not have been a priority for you for even an hour that you would stay awake and be in prayer for me and be my friend and take care of me? I mean, again, they don't know what's going to go on the next day. They don't know what Jesus is going through. They don't know that he's praying for the cross to be taken away from him, which can't happen. They don't know this. But they have needs, but he has needs, and they don't meet them in a relationship way. So does that relate to us? Well, sure it does. We're all slothful. I'm slothful when it comes to the people around me that need me. I can't be there all the time. I can't be on all the time for everybody that needs me. But, but picture yourself coming home from a, a, a long day at work. It's been a hard day at work. And you know behind that door is your spouse you know your kids are there. You know that you could have a meaningful conversation with your spouse. You could play catch with your kids when the snow finally, you know, thaws enough that we can go back outside. You could read a book to them. You could you could be with your kids. You could hang out with them. You could spend some time with them. But instead, you've got to decide between that and the walking dead, catching up or Facebook or whatever. And it ends up becoming an issue of sloth. It becomes an issue of laziness. Am I going to to stay awake am I going to mentally be connected to the people that really really need me maybe it's in our marriage we know we need more romance we need to we need to communicate you know we become we become lethargic it's just become too easy again this is why I preface this second country song reference in one sermon it's never happened before new lady antebellum song Okay, country people, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know why you don't take me downtown anymore. It's a hilarious song, a hilariously sad song. I don't want you to take me downtown. I want to go dancing is what she's saying. I'm counting on your cancellation when I should be counting on you at my door. Why, I don't know why you don't take me downtown anymore. Why don't you do that? Because you've gotten lazy in your relationships. It happens to all of us. I know this. You know, it's like the guy who, you know, got married and then five years later, his wife's like, you never tell me you love me anymore. And he said, look, honey, I told you I love you on our wedding day. If that ever changes, you'll be the first to know. (laughs) Does that work? No, of course not. But that's what happens. All of a sudden we get our, you know, our claw hooked in and it's just a lot easier to do a lot of other things. Love is a verb. It takes work okay? I I get so frustrated when people tell me, I just don't feel in love anymore. I just want to punch you in the head. You know what? I've been been married for 30 years. You know how many of those years I felt in love? Maybe five or six. Come on. (laughs) And for her, like two, maybe if I'm lucky. This is the reality of this. It takes work. You want to be married for 30 years? You want to be married for 50, 60 years like some of the people in this room? It takes work. You You just can't get lazy. You can't hook your claw in and go flip on the tube or go check up on Facebook and all of a sudden go away for the whole night every night. This is just not the way that it's going to work. Okay. And What's really interesting about this is that they had no idea what was getting ready to happen. Of course, if you were to meet Peter, James, and John on Friday morning or Friday afternoon, you know, Jesus died about noon, right? If, if the cross was happening and you went to them and you said, boy, I bet you guys wish you stayed awake last night, they go, yeah, I sure do. I had no idea what was going on in my friend's life last night or I would have stuck with it. Right? Guess what? You don't probably have any idea what's going on in your neighbor's life. You don't have any idea what's going on in your co-worker's life. That person in the cubicle next to you, you don't have any idea. And even in your family's life, you don't know what's going to happen to them tomorrow. So, so we can't be too lazy with our love and our relationships. The second issue we see from this is uh, laziness when it comes to temptation, all right, so they fell asleep. So what does Jesus say? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I, I, I read about this a lot. I mean, it's a really important thing for a pastor to understand the whole temptation thing. What, what he did not say is watch one time and pray one time so that you don't fall into temptation. He said keep watching and keep praying. Jesus understood this because he, he started his ministry with 40 days in the wilderness, duking it out with the devil. And the devil kept coming back, and the devil's going to keep coming back because the devil doesn't want you to fulfill your life's mission. The devil doesn't want you to have your relationships be good in your marriage. He wants it to blow up. He doesn't want your kids to grow up with a healthy father or a mother. He, He wants it to blow up. He doesn't want your mission to be accomplished. That's what he's trying to destroy. So temptation is an area where we can become slothful. Watch and pray. Jesus said, stay on it. Okay? Every time something happens, you have to stay on it. It's interesting to me because a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, I talked about how James and John were the sons of thunder. And they tried to call down fire from heaven, you know, and fry people. They are like, lightning bolts, Jesus, let's do this. And then they changed into, after being with Jesus, the the apostles of love. Well, Peter, after Jesus said, watch and pray, think this through. The night before, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. What happens? Even that night, Peter denies Jesus three times because he wasn't watching and he wasn't praying. Because he was being lazy when it came to temptation. But later on, when Peter writes the churches, he writes and says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter's learned his lesson, and now he's writing to us saying we've got to always keep our guard up. We've got to always be on guard, and that's something that's easy to get lazy about. It's fascinating to go back to thinking about a sloth. I mean, do you realize if the sloth wasn't hanging from the tree, it'd be extinct by now? Because if it was on the ground, it would just lay around and get eaten. That's what would have happened. Thankfully, he can hang from the tree and sleep while his claws are dug into the tree, or he'd be gone. That's what I see happen to so many families, so many people, so many pastors, for crying out loud, is they get lazy when it comes to temptation. Jesus said, watch and pray. It's a continual thing. D- don't just say, God, I want to I be healthy and, and expect that you're going to wake up the next morning and like tofu and kale. Okay? It's just not going to happen. I guarantee you. It's nasty. It'll always be nasty. You've got to keep at it. Okay? Am I right? You've got to keep at it. You've got to change your lifestyle. You've got to do the things that are happening. God, deliver me from this temper. Not just like right now, like every day, if that's your issue. Talk about lust next week. We'll get into this more. But don't be lazy when it comes to temptation. Watch and pray. It's a day-by-day thing. Number three is commitment. Jesus goes on and he says, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. And by the way, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's the flesh that's the problem right? Uh, This is something that I'm getting. You know, I'm getting older. I'm 52 years old. I'm starting, you know, my body's not like it used to be and I'm getting jet lag and all this stuff going on. And this is why, if I can just remind you that I talked about physical margin a few weeks ago and how important it is to put the right stuff in your body and to take care of your body so that you can feel good. Because if you don't, you're just going to be laying around like a sloth. You're just going to have your hook hooked in. And also you're not going to feel like getting up. You're not going to feel like going to work. You're not going to feel like doing and the, th- the people that you need to love. You're not going to feel like battling with temptation because you are physically weak, lazy. I, I'm going to read to you from the Old Testament. Please remember I didn't write the Bible. Solomon said, go to the ant, you sluggard. <laughs> Isn't that fun to say? You sluggard. I want you to look at the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise, Solomon says. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and it gathers its food at harvest. We all know about the ants, right? You know, it's, 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 it's the constant thing that we're supposed to be taking care of things and not be lazy. He says, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When are you, you going to get up from your sleep? This might be a verse, Proverbs 6 uh, Eight might be a verse you want to put over your adult child's um, door who's living at home and not working. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. All right, let me just talk about the, the commitment level of laziness. Can I just talk about this for a minute? Okay, because we have a problem in our world uh, uh, because there are a lot of people that don't want to do anything and they think that somebody ought to take care of them. And it's interesting in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says very plainly, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule if a man will not work, he should not eat. Okay, wow. Okay, that's a little pointed. Yeah, well, again, that was Solomon, and that was the Apostle Paul. And this is the part of sloth where we got to talk literally about work and literally about laziness. And there are two sides of this for sure. Okay, two sides of this. On the one side, remember my tattoo says heaven to earth on the top and earth to heaven on the bottom. Okay, it's really important that you understand that we're supposed to bring heaven to earth. That's what I'm talking about. I don't you don't have to die to go to hell and you don't have to die to go to heaven. We can bring heaven to earth right now. So when Jesus said, go take care of the poor, we need to go take care of the poor. And when he said, visit those who are sick and visit those who are in prison, then that's what we need to do. And we need to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. And that's why we're involved all over the world. We have a team in Kenya right now trying to help teach uh, business leaders, uh, small business leaders, like enterprise stuff. Right now, they're working right now. They're they're, they're working over there. And and we want to do that. And and my friend Choco that we work with downtown, he tells me 41% of the single moms in Humboldt Park are homeless. So that's why we're working with him. That's why we gave coats, you know, and that's why we're working in, in, in all the places all around the world, because I believe that it is our responsibility, just like Jesus commanded. He said, whatever you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. On the other hand, we have a whole lot of people out there who don't want to work and expect a handout, okay? The argument that my wife and I have about our dog is my best illustration, okay? Okay. I had a, uh, we have, well, she has, but we have, okay, a, a, a 14-year-old toy poodle. Yes, very manly dog. <laughs> His name is Zacchaeus, because he's a wee little man. Um, He's 14 years old. He weighs about six pounds, okay? He's, cute little, he's a cute little dog, and he's still got a lot of life left in him and, and at 14. That's like 100 dog years, you know? So, so here, we're at this dilemma right now, okay? Because, you know, Zacchaeus is, is Becca's dog, and she's off in California, you know, so you can't just kill him while she's off at school, right? <laughs> So, so it's about keeping the dog alive. This is our argument. Are you follow me? Okay. So, so we got to give the dog medicine. Okay, a lot of expensive medicine because he's still got a lot of life left in him. He still plays, and he's he's not like you know the Walking Dead. He's still a fun little dog, but his heart's not working real good. So he has to have all this medicine. Okay. There are two ways you can give a dog medicine if you don't understand this. You can you can grind it up and put it in their food, or you can open up their nasty mouth, smell their dog breath, and try to poke the pills down in there. Anybody done that? That's a lot of fun, right? So what do we do? Well, we want the dog to eat the pills with his food. So we grind up his, we, meaning she, grinds up the the pills and, uh, you know, it's up to me. <laughs> she grinds up his pills, and, and, she, and she puts them in his food, and then he eats his medicine, and he continues to live a wonderful, happy life, right? This is, this is all great. The problem is that sometimes he doesn't want to eat his food. So my wife tries to entice him by, like, cooking you know eggs and putting them in there and putting cheese on it you know and if I let her have caviar she'd put caviar in there to try to get the dog to eat his food because nobody wants to shove the pills down the dog's throat and we're not ready to let him go with me okay that's all makes sense what doesn't make sense is that my wife insists on keeping a bowl of dry dog food out at all times for Zachy to have in case he gets hungry and there's no other food there does this make any sense to any of you? <laughs> of course not. Because if he doesn't want to eat his food with the medicine in it, he can always go eat the dry dog food. And I keep saying, hey, if he doesn't get any other choices, he will eventually eat his good food. Am I right, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, this only makes sense. He will have two choices, eat or die. It's simple. <laughs> Good thing I don't have a cat, right? That is exactly what Solomon is saying in the Old Testament, you sluggard. And that is exactly what Paul is saying in the New Testament. You know, if you don't work or at least are trying to work, you shouldn't eat. That's motivation. Maybe you ought to go home and tell your adult child who's living at a home and not working and not going to school and not doing anything that the Cheetos are cut off. You know? Somebody sent me this picture. I I, I laugh because um, the sea fell off, okay? The the sea fell off, all right? It's supposed to be closers, all right? Listen. But here's the thing When, when I saw this picture, I started thinking. The problem with this picture is most of us look at that and we laugh because we think, oh, who'd want to work at Wendy's? I'm going to tell you something. The problem with the world is that there's a whole bunch of people that think they are too good to work at Wendy's, okay? There's a whole bunch of people that think they're too good to work at McDonald's. They're too good to work at minimum wage. You know, they're like Cousin Eddie on Christmas vacation, right? He can't find a job in seven years. Well, he's holding out for a management position. Hey, guess what? Go get a job. I know I sound like an old man right now. I am an old man, so deal with it. It frustrates me because, seriously, I look at some people, okay, like Pastor Lonnie, who's a paraplegic in a wheelchair, and he could be on disability. He could be home watching Wheel of Fortune all day if he wanted to because he's seriously disabled. But I watch him drag his butt out of bed every day, which he can't even feel, and he gets up, and he goes to work and he works really hard because he's got a mission, because he's got a life, and he wants to work. And that's what I'm talking about. While a third of the workforce is at home playing Xbox, Lonnie's out there working, okay? That's not right, that's messed up. This would be a good time to announce my candidacy for President of the United States 2016. Thank you, thank you very much. I'm just kidding. I want to be the governor of Illinois. Um, Here's the sad ending of this, okay? And I'll get off my soapbox, okay? This is what's really sad. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. God, take this cup away from me. When he came back, he again found them sleeping. He went away again, and returning the third time, he said to them, Guys, seriously, are you still hanging from your tree limb, man? Come on, enough. Enough. Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And it was at that moment they're waking up. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on? And then they realize what they should have been doing all along. This is really important. And the last kind of sloth that we can have is the spiritual kind of sloth. Uh, because Jesus said, watch and pray. And I think obviously you you think a preacher ought to talk about this because this is the most important part. We become comfortable. They had become comfortable. They forgot to watch and they forgot to pray. They were like the church in Revelation where Jesus said, you know what, I wish you were hot or you're cold, but you're not, so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you're really just slothful, you're sluggard. You know, you're just not really doing the things that you're supposed to do. And Jesus even told a a parable one time. People talk about Jesus' stories like, you know, he was just this great, you know, teacher and everything was just all about love. Jesus had some pretty pointed things to say about our spiritual slothfulness. One of them is the parable of the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids. And back in that day, the the groom and the bride would have their wedding, and then they would go have their banquet somewhere else, and the bridesmaid's job was to sit around and wait for the, the wedding part to be over, and then they would go to the banquet together. He said... At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise, however, the wise ones, however, took the oil along, extra oil along with their lamps. The bridegroom fell a long, was a long time in coming and they became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry came out, hey, here comes the groom, let's go out to meet him. And all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they said, there might not be enough for us and you. Instead, go to Walmart, buy your own oil. They're open 24 hours. <laughs> no, they replied, there may not be an Oh, But while they were still on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived and the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. And here's where it gets kind of hard. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he said... Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. There were were four things that were required of the bridesmaids that they failed to do. The same things that we have as a charge to us. Jesus says, we have a responsibility to know what God desires for us to do with our lives. This is about the priority of our time. This is about our purpose. Number two, we have a responsibility to plan for our eternal future. And I hope you'll do that today. Number three, we have a responsibility to zero in on what is most important with our lives. Again, not just our purpose, but how do we prioritize the time that we have? Number four, we have a responsibility to be prepared for God's timing. Again, because they didn't know Jesus was going to die the next day. They should have been ready for it, and they weren't. They didn't know what was going to happen. And guess what? You don't know what's going to happen either. This is why there's no excuse for us to be spiritually lazy, Paul wrote, Be very careful, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, they're jacked up, they're not good. So therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Because each of us has been given things that we need to do on this earth. We've been given faith, we've been given ability, we've been given mission. I'm writing this book. This book is called Life on Mission, okay? What I'm doing, and and yeah, I'm I'm traveling, and I'm busy, and yes, all those things, and I appreciate your prayers, but this book starts out, by talking about the fact that every Christian has a mission. And I start off the intro by saying, you know what, I hate to date myself, but when I was growing up I used to love this show called Mission Impossible. And what would happen on Mission Impossible is that the, the, the agents, the secret agents, would get this tape recorder, right, and they would hear their mission, and then the, the tape recorder would self-destruct, you know, a little puff of smoke would come up, and, and it would be gone, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't work anymore so nobody else could hear the mission. I said, what I never saw in any episode of Mission Impossible, I never ever saw one of the agents go, nah, I don't think I'll do that mission. I'm going to go get a sandwich. Our, our, our job as believers is to fulfill the mission of our commander. That's what we're supposed to do. So, the reason I'm traveling around, the reason I'm doing this convention this summer that I hope you'll come to in July, for, for, it's for churches all over the country, July 5th through the 8th, or 8th through the 11th in Indianapolis. The reason I'm doing this, I'm preparing 40 days of mission that we will do next fall and that uh, churches across the country will do in a campaign to help us understand that we can't be spiritually slothful because there are 125 million unchurched Americans around us. The the third largest mission field in the world is in our backyard and we have a job to do. And the largest, uh, the fastest growing religious group in the United States of America are the group of people who don't believe in anything. That's now a new category, N-O-N-E-S, nuns, people that don't believe in anything. They're the fastest growing. They're all around us. You know what? The reason I'm here, the reason you're here is so that we can have a mission. And We can't, we can't look at this, at this job. We can't say, okay, God, well, I don't really want to do this. i got other things to do. That's why Jesus put us here. We have to be like the five that are prepared because we don't know what's going to happen. The psalmist said, teach us to number our days. I love this verse. Teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. Number your days. Man, you don't know how long you got. They didn't know how long they had. You see my marbles up here? I got uh, a jar full of marbles. Maybe you've seen the story on the Internet. It's a story about this guy who was like in his 70s and he was sitting next to a a younger man who was a dad and a, a, a guy who had to travel for his job a lot. And, and they were talking about things and, uh, you know, just talking about the younger guy was kind of bemoaning the fact that he had to travel a lot and he was gone a lot and he, he was just really frustrated with it and, 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 the priority of his time and how hard it was when he was home on the weekends to try to, you know, prioritize his time and do the right things. And the older man said, you know what? I got, a, I got a, I got a story about that. He said, I was having the same problem and, um, And one day I read this verse in the Bible, teach us to number our days. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder how many days I have. I wonder how many weekends I have. I wonder how many Saturdays I have. And so I I sat down and I figured out the average guy lives to be about 75. So let's just say I live to be 75. That means I'm going to have 3,900 Saturdays. That's all the Saturdays I've got. That's the day, you know, you just use that illustration for whatever it is. That's the day I had for for taking care of my family, for the priorities in my life. That was the day that I could kind of control more than any other day. 3,900. He said, by the time I did this, I was 55. Or I realized at 55, that that meant I only had about a 1,000 Saturdays left. That's pretty crazy because I'm 52. That's not very far off. So he said, what I did... He said, I went to the toy store and I bought a thousand marbles and I put them in this jar. And every Saturday I would take one of the marbles out of the jar and I would put it over into another jar Symbolizing the fact that I had numbered my days, that I realized that this day was not a day to be wasted. This was not a day to throw away. This was one of a thousand days, a thousand Saturdays I had left to do with what I was supposed to do on this earth. And he said, That changed my motivation completely. It changed my life completely because every Saturday I would go pull out a marble and I would realize this is another marble that's gone. Teach us to number our days. And in the story, the older guy said, and guess what? Last Saturday, I pulled out the last marble in 75. Hopefully, God will give me some you know, extra credit marbles along the way, and I'll be able to do more. But he said, I can tell you right now, the last 20 years of my life have been really, really different because I asked God to teach me to number my days. It made my priority different. So do you see how the sloth thing does kind of work a little bit more than we thought? There are so many areas that we can tend to be lazy, so many places. Thankfully, Jesus was not. Jesus, even though he had no friends to, to rely on the night before, went to the cross and he died because God couldn't take it away from him because your sins and my sins, they're all needing to be paid for. And the good news as we come to communion right now is that they are, if you'll accept it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for... Uh, That's the time that we could just spend. As I, I really honestly, I thought this is dumb. I don't know why we're talking about sloth. Nobody's lazy these days. But the truth is we can all be selectively lazy. We can look like we're busy doing a whole lot of things and not get the right things done. So more than anything else, teach us to number our days. Teach us that there's only a limited amount of time that we're going to have on this earth and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and we don't even know what's going on in the lives of the people around us. We have a mission. We we have a purpose for being here. So help us to keep our relationships strong and to be the person that we need to be. Help us to be on our our guard against temptation. Help us to be strong and take care of ourselves so that we can be the strong, working, committed people that you want us to be and keep us on task, keep us on mission. Lord, I pray an extra prayer right now for the churches that we may be able to influence to to get back on mission. There's so many churches full of church members that have got their claws hanging from a tree and they just come in and hang for an hour and then they go back out again and they never fulfill what they were supposed to do. Don't let that be us and let us be an example to them. Lord, more than anything else, I'm thankful that I can look at Peter, James, and John and think, how did they do that? But I'm pretty sure if I would have been in that garden with you, I would have fallen asleep too. And you still would have loved me. You reinstated Peter even after he denied you three times, and, and, you, and you made him the leader of the, of the Jerusalem church and you reinstated James and John and ended up being the apostles of love, I, ho- I hope that the people that are listening to me right now will understand that that's the power that you've given us right now. Thank you. If there are people in this room, Lord, that don't even know about their eternal destiny, just let them turn to you right now and say, Jesus, I want to be in heaven. I want to I be in heaven someday. I need to be saved. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. But, Lord, don't let them dig their claw in and just become a sloth from now until they die. Let them understand that they don't need to live in hell while they're here. They can live in heaven right now. We're supposed to bring heaven to right now. That's our job. And that's the privilege that we have. Be with us as we commune with you in Jesus' name.